Yeah, I don't know if you noticed the words on that, that last song we just sang, but I, I want to put up uh, the second verse. Um, when Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end to all my sin. I, I don't know, there's something about that phrase, you know, because I, I feel like we all get to that point of despair when we remember the guilt of some of the things that we've done in the past. You know, and there's just those times in my life still where I look back at my past and I go, gosh, I can't believe I did that. And sometimes almost have a hard time believing that I'm really forgiven, that, uh, I, that, that God really did pay for all that and I don't even have to think about it. It's just done, it's just over with. Um, and, but what that verse, you know, in this, this old hymn that this guy wrote was just saying, you know what, when Satan tempts me, to be so despaired over it and, and tells me about all the guilt inside of myself. He goes, I, I just have to stop looking at myself. I stop looking at myself, stop looking at my sins, stop looking at Satan, and he says, upward I look. And I see him there. I see Jesus who made an end to all my sin. Jesus already paid for it. There's nothing that, that I can do to add for it. Because, you know, in our pride, it's almost like we want to do something, right, to make up for the wrongs we did. I mean, don't you, don't you feel like you, you wish there was something physical you could do to make up for all the sins in your past? Like you could work it off somehow because that would make us feel so much better. This is the way we are. And, and a lot of that is our pride. We want to do it. We want to fix it ourselves. And what this guy is saying goes, no, what I do is look up and I remember the one that did everything for me. That's why the cross was so awful was Jesus paid for it all. And it would be so wrong for me to try to add to that but rather just to come here and enjoy it and to accept it. You can go ahead and turn it off. You know, it's just the whole idea of just coming before Jesus and saying, you know what, I, I, today I believe that you died for it all and I can let go of it all. You know, it's, it's amazing. Even last service, I, I really want every service to be different because it's a different group of people. I don't know what you're dealing with and I think God has me have different conversations at different times, even in the morning, that affect what I'm going to say the next service. And just last service, just standing up here talking to, you know, some different people. One guy, it was a, a couple of girls from our church, a couple of college students who were in downtown L.A. and looking for an apartment and end up talking to a homeless guy. And, uh, and been helping him get cleaned up and, you know, helping him find a job, a place to live and everything else and came to church for the first time and, and just helping him to understand Okay, your past is your past. Yeah, you just got out of prison. You just did this, you just that. You know, another guy I talked to last service too, you know, was in, in, in prison for, for years. You know, just, just doing all sorts of crazy things I don't have time to get into. But just the Lord just got a hold of his life and just totally turning him around. And, and, and just, I, I think about the message of the cross for, uh, for so many people that, you know, we forget inside this room. We just think, oh, we're just all, you know, nice little families that have had these perfect lives. And it's like, okay, show me one, you know. Show me one. And we forget, you know what, we've all made our mistakes. And that's what's so beautiful about the cross. As we come here, we focus on the cross and say, look, it doesn't matter where you've been, what you've done. There's no one person above another person in this room. Okay, what, what, what's done is done. Don't keep staring at your past. Look upward. Look at Jesus. He already paid for it all. And now start just becoming more and more like him. You know, I was, um, I was at a camp this week and I was speaking and, and one of the counselors came up to me afterwards. And, uh, and she said to me, she goes, you know, the girls in my cabin, we were talking about this. And she said, you know, we all want to be in love with God. 
we, we, you know, we see you and you talk about having this passionate love relationship with God and we listen to you and we go, amen, we would love to have this passionate love relationship with God. She says, but we don't. So what do we do to get there? We want to love God. We want to be intimate with him right now. Of course we want that, but we don't have it. So how do we get there? How do you answer that? You know, because aren't there those times in your life when you, I mean, everything at the core of who you are is you want to be close with God, right? I mean, that's why we're here. We want to be intimate with Him, but there are those times when we just feel like we're wanting everything else, and, and yet we know we want God first, and, and yet it's just not happening. We don't feel close to Him. We, we, we're not intimate with God. We're just not there. What do you do? You know, and it's pretty interesting because I've been reading this book uh, by a guy named John Piper. It's called When I Don't Desire God how to fight for joy. And it's this whole idea of, you know, there is times in our lives when we don't desire God. We don't desire him like we want to. We want and we know he's the one that's going to bring us ultimate happiness, ultimate joy and everything else. But there's just those times in life when we just get busy or we get into all these other things and it's like we're longing for God and yet we're not pursuing him and I want to desire him but I don't desire him. So what do I do? And it was interesting because in one of his chapters, he, he says, uh, you know, when you feel like that, the greatest thing you can do is preach the gospel to yourself. And that just struck me weird. I was like, well, what do you mean preach the gospel to myself? But he just goes on and explains, man, the more you focus on the cross, the more you'll fall in love with God. The more you tell yourself that same old story that God the Creator loved us so much that He sent His Son. He sent His Son and had Him become a man and put Him on this earth and, and He was tortured. He was crucified for me because He loves me. He goes, the more you focus on that and can tell your soul that truth, the more you're going to desire God, the more you're going to love Him. And, and it sounds really simple, but it's not. It's not that easy because we have such a hard time focusing on anything. We just do. It is so hard. I mean, it, it's very easy for me to say, hey, you guys, let's just clear our minds of everything and just focus on the cross today. I can say that, but that is so, so difficult for a bunch of different reasons. Some of you, it's because you're driven and, uh, and there's a lot of us that are like that, and, and that's the way God made us. And, and there's that side of us that where we always want to accomplish something. We've got to get this done. We've got to get this done. And so you're already today even coming to church thinking about all the other things you could be doing, accomplishing or whatever else. You're thinking about what you've got to do this afternoon. You're thinking about this week ahead and how you're just going to charge it and things you're going to get done this week, and you think about that. And it's hard for those of us with personalities like that to just stop and go, you know what? I'm not going to accomplish that in the next 20 minutes. So let me just take my mind off of it, forget about achieving or accomplishing anything for a little bit, and just focus solely on what Jesus did on the cross for me and enjoy that. Others of you, you come in the room and it's difficult for you to focus on that because you had such a tough week or maybe tough month or tough year. And you've got all these things that happened in the past that are still just tearing you up Man, and you've been so focused on your problem and how to get past this time of life that it's hard for you to take your mind off of your problem right now. Just for a little bit. Just, just forget all about that for a second and just focus on the cross. It's going to be so hard for you to do that even though you know that's the best thing for you. 
It's hard to take our mind off our problems. Other people, it's hard to focus on the cross because it's just hard for you to focus, period, on anything. You know what I mean? I mean, it's so easy to become like that. I, I, I think about the times like if my, my wife's away and I'm just watching the kids, you know, for those of you who are stay-at-home moms, I don't know how you focus on anything. It's like a nonstop, like the zombie state where one kid's going, hey, do this for me, do this for me. Another one's crying and this one, you know, just like this nonstop, all right, here's some food. Yeah, okay, I'll do some more laundry. It's just like this whole fog, you know, that you get into. And so finally, you know, come to church, and you're like, okay, go to Sunday school, and you just get in here. You just sit down, and you're still just like zoning from all the noise that's been in your, in your head all week long. And it's like, okay, can I just erase it all and seriously just get charged and focus right now all of my attention to think about one thing, the cross, to think about the Son of God on that cross dying for me because God is crazy about me. And, and gosh, if we could do that, if we could regularly focus, think about the cross, that's the whole point of communion. You know, taking the bread and the cup, maybe if you have something physical, you stick it in your mouth, you're, you're feeling it, you're experiencing it. It's all about the body and blood of Jesus Christ to get us to think about the cross. Oh man, how that would change our lives if we could seriously just dwell on the cross regularly, daily, we would be more and more in love with God. You can't help but fall more in love with God when you focus on the cross. And so what I'm going to ask you to do is I, I'd like you to pray for yourself right now. Pray that just in the next few minutes you would be able to focus. Just come before God right now. Just bow your heads. Seriously ask God in heaven to give you the ability to focus on the cross this morning. Now pray for the people that are sitting next to you on your right and on your left. Even if you don't know their names, just pray for them right now and ask God to help them to focus. Father, I just pray that you would allow us to empty our minds of everything else except for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Last time I spoke, we talked about Jesus being arrested. Remember that? He's in the garden praying, and he gets arrested. And we pick up the story 
And, and remember, uh, remember Jesus told Peter how difficult things were going to get and told Peter, look, I've been praying for you. I'm praying for you that your faith won't fail. And yet he tells Peter, because Peter's like, don't worry, my faith isn't going to fail. I'd go with you. I'd die for you, you know, everything else. And, and Jesus just looks at Peter and says, you don't get it. You don't understand how difficult this is going to be. He goes, in fact, before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. You're going to deny that you even know me. And, and that's the section that we, we pick up on here. And, and, and let me just say this. It's real easy for us to, to get kind of self-righteous and go, gosh, you know, look at Peter. He's denying Jesus. But just for a second, let me paint the picture for you. Let me remind you that things back then were a lot different than they are today. I'm not saying that what Peter did was right. I'm just saying, you know what, let's, let's, let's understand the situation a little bit. See, back then, back then, their society was very different from ours here in America. Okay, here we are very, very careful to make sure we protect criminals, right? We want to make sure we don't punish them too hard. We want to make sure the police, hey, you know, I think you hit them a little bit too hard. Oh, you twisted his arm. You did this, you did that. We're very careful to give them their rights, their privacy. You know, if we're going to give the death penalty, let's put them in a little room and not let anyone see. And, you know, just give them a shot or gas, or, you know, so they don't really feel it. You guys, that's the complete opposite of what they did back then. Back then, they wanted to torture a guy publicly. They wanted to come up with the most painful way to kill a person. That's why they came up with crucifixion. They wanted to publicly put a person on a cross, on a hill, so that everyone passing by could see like this piece of flesh just being mutilated, a guy screaming out for dear life, gasping for every breath, so that as you pass by, you just in a regular day could walk by and see someone on a cross like that just being tortured. And above his head, there would be a sign showing the crime that was committed. So when you walk back and you, you see that person on that cross being tortured, and you see that crime above his head, you say to yourself, man, I don't ever want to do that if that's going to happen to me. You got little kids walking by seeing this going, oh, what is that all about? And you got parents saying, you don't ever want to be in that situation. That was the whole idea of that government. That was the whole idea of that type of punishment was to deter other people from ever wanting to commit those crimes. And so now as they're taking Jesus away and Peter's following and watching this thing, he knows the future of Jesus. He knows what he's going to have to go through. He's seen it a bunch of times. They've seen the torture. And in his heart, he's thinking, man, Jesus is going to go through this. And now they're associating me with him you can imagine the fear. So understand, as we read this, let's not be self-righteous and realize what Peter uh, was going through at the time. In, in Luke chapter uh, 22, in verse 54, it says, Then seizing him, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. But when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, This man was with him. But he denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. A little later, someone else saw him and said, You're one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. About an hour later, another asserted, Certainly this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. And Peter replied, Man, 
I don't know what you're talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you'll disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. It's a pretty dramatic scene, isn't it? See, as they're taking Jesus away, Peter just kind of follows from a distance, keeping his eye on Jesus, seeing what they're doing to him, sits down in the courtyard in view of Jesus, and these people start questioning Peter, go, man, you're with him. He goes, no, 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 who is that anyways? And then the third time, when he denies him the third time, he hears a rooster crow. He looks over, and Jesus turns his head and stares right at him. Can you imagine that scene? And Peter realizes what he's done. And it says he goes outside and he just bawls his eyes out. Just picture that scene of him looking at Jesus, realizing he just pretended he didn't even know the guy, and realizing that's what Jesus predicted. I didn't think I would ever deny Jesus, but that's what I just did. And he just runs out and he just cries uncontrollably. It's a pretty tense scene. You know, a couple of things I want to point out, you know. We can uh, be quick to judge Peter, but think about how many times we've denied Jesus in stupider situations where it wasn't our life on the line. It was just our reputation or we, we just didn't want to look stupid for believing in Jesus. We didn't want to just come across as this Jesus freak and just talk to the stranger about him. And so we just don't bring him up. Or maybe there have even been times when someone's flat out asked you about your relationship with God and you've kind of downplayed it. Oh, yeah, yeah, I go to church. It's good for the kids or this or that. Rather than really telling them the truth that this is everything to you and that you would die for this man or would you? You know, how many times have we denied Jesus in our lives? The, the beautiful thing about this story is when Peter looks at Jesus and knows what he did and he just runs outside and just... I just picture this guy, it says he wept bitterly. He was so broken over what he had done, like, I can't believe it. I thought I would never deny Jesus, and there I've done it. And, and he's so broken, and what I love about it is if you read about the rest of Peter's life, you see that he's a changed man. He has that experience where, yeah, I totally blew it. I denied Jesus. But when you read the book of Acts, you see, wow, this guy really turned it around. Now he's going everywhere preaching about Jesus in the same type of persecution. In fact, Peter's the one that we hear was, you know, by, by tradition was crucified upside down. You know, he, he went through it. He didn't deny Jesus. And he, you know what? He made his mistake, but then he turned and he changed. And he lived for Jesus. And now, 2,000 years later, we still talk about him saying, man, that guy really changed the world. And I think this experience and all the, our experiences add to that. And, and so today isn't about, man, think about all the times you denied Jesus. And today's about, okay, are you willing to repent of that, to weep bitterly over the fact that, yeah, you've denied him with your life, and to change and say, you know what, but never again. Because that's what Peter's life was all about. You know, the, the next few verses, I, I honestly... Uh, I hate these verses, starting verse 63. I mean, they're just, I don't know, these just always hit me the worst. Verse 63, it says, The men who were guarding Jesus began mocking and beating him. 
They blindfolded him and demanded, prophesy, who hit you? And they said many other insulting things to him. I, I, I don't know. That, that, the, the cross is horrible, obviously. But for me, there's something about these passages when the people mock Jesus that just drive me crazy. I mean, think about it. What, what they're doing is the soldiers now, they blindfold Jesus and they start punching him. And they go, hey, you know what? Who just hit you? If you're a prophet and you, you know everything, if you're the son of God, then tell me, who just slapped you? As they just beat on him and insult him and mock him. And, and, and if you think about it, picture Jesus being blindfolded, people spitting on him, insulting him, mocking him, punching him. Think about the fact that Jesus, as he's standing there blindfolded, Jesus was the very one who created these people. Just try to get that concept in your head for a second. That God in heaven, Jesus, the Bible says that through Jesus, James, John 1, that all things were made. Without him, nothing on this earth has been made that has been made. Everything was made by him. Jesus makes these people, then comes down on the earth and takes the form of one of these people, and then he allows these people to blindfold him and beat him and mock him and ridicule him. Picture Jesus, the creator of these people who made them as he's being hit and spit upon and mocked. All of that because he loves us. He was about to go to the cross for these very people who were punching him. Think about that for a second. That's what makes this the most amazing story in the world. The most amazing story there'll ever be. Our creator going through that. I think about my own life and my desire for revenge when someone hurts me or hurts one of my children or, or something and how I just want to get back and, and how many times, maybe some of you walk in this room today and you feel like, you know what, someone really worked you over, someone really mistreated you. And I hope you read this passage and realize, you know what, nothing's happened to you compared to what the, the Savior went through. And you look at his humility and I pray that we become people like that. The next, uh, the next section here is, is where the, um, the, uh, the trials start. In verse 66, it says, At daybreak, the council of the elders of the people, both the chief priests and elders, chief priests and teachers of the law, met together, and Jesus was led before them. If you are the Christ, they said, tell us. Jesus answered, If I tell you, you will not believe me. And if I asked you, you would not answer. But from now on, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the mighty God. They all asked, Are you then the Son of God? He replied, You are right in saying I am. Then they said, Why do we need any more testimony? We've heard it from his own lips. Okay, so he stands before this council, and they're saying, You know why we're against you? Is you're saying that you're the Son of God. So tell us, are you the Son of God? And Jesus says, You know, if I told you right now, you wouldn't believe me anyways. But, but then he says a very interesting phrase. He goes, and when I ask you, you won't answer. That's an interesting phrase. He says, you know, it's interesting because if I told you, hey, I'm the son of God, you wouldn't believe me anyways. He goes, but 
when I ask you, okay, you tell me if I'm the son of God, you won't answer. And I, I like that because I feel like that's what so many people in the world do. They won't answer. You see, because Jesus here is saying, I am the son of God. He says, from now on, you're going to see me sitting next to God himself. But so many people on the earth, they won't, well, they won't say, yes, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And they're not willing to say, no, I don't believe that Jesus is the Son of God. They want to stay in this neutral center part, you know, where, where they go, well, you know, all I know is that I believe he was a good man. I, I think he was a good teacher. I think it's great that you follow him. But I'm not going to say anything one way or the other. That's where most of the world is, at least America. We want to stay politically correct somewhere in the middle here, not to where we're this, this hardcore, yeah, I believe Jesus is the only way to heaven, and we don't want to be on the other side saying, no, I believe Jesus lied when he said he was the Son of God. We think there's a middle ground that we can be in, and there isn't. You can't say that Jesus was just a good man. That doesn't make any sense. You have to answer the question, was Jesus lying or not? Was he lying or not when he said he was the Son of God? And at some point, you have to have the courage to either say, yes, I believe he was the Son of God. Or to have the courage to say, you know what? I believe he totally lied. He did some good things, but he lied about being the Son of God. What's the truth? Is he really sitting at the right hand of God right now? Because Jesus says he would be. Is he really the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father except through Jesus? Do you believe that? Was he telling the truth or was he lying? But say something. You know, stand up for something. You know, one of the saddest stories to me is, is really this next story about the guy named Pilate. Because Pilate was one of these guys who couldn't quite make a decision. Pilate was the Roman governor. He was in charge of this area. And they're, they're bringing Jesus to him and putting him on trial before this governor. And look at what happens in, in chapter 23. Verse 1, it says, Then the whole assembly rose and led him off to Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, We found this man subverting our nation. He opposes payment of taxes to Caesar and claims to be Christ a king. So Pilate asked Jesus, Are you the king of the Jews? Yes, it is as you say, Jesus replied. Then Pilate announced to the chief priests and the crowd, I find no basis for a charge against this man. But they insisted, he stirs up the people all over Judea by his teaching. He started in Galilee and has come all the way here. On hearing this, Pilate asked if the man was a Galilean. When he learned that Jesus was under Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who was also in Jerusalem at that time. You see... The interesting thing here is Pilate, the Roman governor, he hears the story, he asks Jesus some questions, questions him, and he comes to the people and goes, listen, I don't see anything wrong with this man. I don't see that he's guilty of anything. And the people start pressuring, come on, you know, he does this, he does that. And Pilate, you know, hears this phrase, you know, that, that oh, you know, all the way from Galilee, all the way to here, he goes, oh, wait a second, Galilee? Oh, if he's from Galilee, you know what? It's not even my job to judge him. Why don't you guys take him to Herod? That's more of his jurisdiction. See what Pilate's trying to do? He's trying to wash his hands of this thing. He knows that Jesus is innocent, and you'll read more about his story next week. But, but he knows that Jesus is innocent, but he's, he doesn't have the courage to stand and say, No, this man is innocent, and you guys aren't harming him. Wouldn't that have been a great story? You know, if Pilate said, No. 
you're not over my dead body. And then the authorities hear about it, and, and you know, because of the riot that would have taken place, then Pilate would have been killed. The emperor probably would have had Pilate killed if he, if he stood up for Jesus. But what a great story that would be, huh? Could you imagine if right now we're talking, and I go, gosh, you know, think about Pilate. He was the Roman governor. He had everything, but he gave it all up for Jesus, and he died protecting Jesus. And so for the last 2,000 years, Pilate's been in heaven just accepting all of the, the joy and all the riches of the kingdom of God because of what he did 2,000 years ago. And we would think about Pilate of what a brave, what an awesome man who used his position and stood for the Son of God. What a great story that'd be. But it's not the story we're studying. You know, instead, it's, it's this guy who didn't have the courage to stand up. You see, following Jesus is about having that courage to stand up and just say, you know what, I'm a follower. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. That's why, uh, you know, when Jesus says, when you, when you become a Christian, when you decide to follow me, the first thing he asks you to do is, it's not about this private decision where, okay, if you want to follow Jesus, then just get quietly by yourself and then just, just pray, have him come into your life and just leave it at that. No, he says, if you're going to follow me, then take a stand and publicly get baptized. First thing I want you to do is get in front of a crowd of people and publicly admit, you know what? I'm a follower of Jesus. I believe Jesus died and he rose again, and I, I'm going to confess that. I'm not going to deny him. That's what, that's what baptism was. It was this public confession, and once you did it, man, you know what? People were after you because now you, like Peter, we're labeling yourself, and you're saying, I'm a follower of his. You're no longer denying yourself. See, Pilate was one of these people that thought there was this middle ground. Maybe he could stay in and stay safe, you know, have a, the people love him and yet also not condemn Jesus. So let me send him away and have nothing to do with him. And I'm saying, you know, that's just impossible. You can't do that. You've got to make a choice. You either condemn him or you follow him. But there's none of this middle ground. It just doesn't exist in Scripture See, see, Pilate sends him away to Herod and say, okay, Herod, you take care of it. But what happens there is it says in, in uh, verse 8, it says, when Herod saw Jesus, he was greatly pleased because for a long time he'd been wanting to see him. From what he had heard about him, he hoped to see him perform some miracle. He plied with them and with many questions, but Jesus gave no answer. The chief priests and the teachers of the law were standing there vehemently accusing him. Then Herod and his soldiers ridiculed and mocked him. Dressing him in an elegant robe, they sent him back to Pilate. That day, Herod and Pilate became friends. Before this, they had been enemies. Okay, so he sends him off to Pilate, I mean to Herod. And here's what we know of Herod just from history that he was just one of the most perverted men that lived in that time. He was just this glutton, just, you know, everything was just about having a good time, didn't take a whole lot seriously. And then here comes Jesus, and he actually gets excited. He thinks, oh, cool, I've been hearing about Jesus. I heard he does miracles. Jesus, do some miracles for me. And when Jesus doesn't play his game, he says, you know what? He gets his soldiers to put a, it's this elegant purple robe on him, mocking him as a king, and sends him back to Pilate. Guys, it's just, think about Jesus. Think about the creator who has his disciple betray him. He's taken off to, to court. 
you know, they blindfold him, start beating him. And then uh, they send him off to another guy who mocks him and puts a purple robe on him, sends him back to Pilate, and we'll pick up the story next week. But remember, that's your creator that's going through this. 